Welcome to Debate and Discussion, a podcast presented by Xavier Newswire. I'm your host, Will Pembroke. During the episode, I will be joined by guests who will debate controversial topics related to Xavier or other current events. Today on the show, we will be discussing Xavier's 2022 spring semester vaccine mandate announcement, which came out this past Wednesday, August 25th. Before we begin our main debate segment, let's allow all three of our guest contributors a chance to introduce themselves. Uh, hi, my name is Grady Boris. I'm a first year here at Xavier, and I'm an English major. Hello, uh, my name is Andrew Zerman. I'm a senior here at Xavier, and I'm also an English major, and it's my fourth year here at the Newswire. My name is Kayla Ross. I'm a first year student, and my major is Health Services Administration. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for coming. Grady, would you like to start us off with your opening statement on the vaccine mandate announcement, which came out this past Wednesday, August 25th, from the university? Uh, yeah, sure. So just first and foremost, I am for most vaccines, if not all, and I'm definitely for this vaccine requirement for semester two. It's not that uncommon to actually require vaccines, whether that's for school or for travel. Like, for example, if you want to go to public school, you need a long list of vaccinations to actually attend. And even to go to college, you need another long list of vaccinations. So it's just another shot. And like I said, it's also common outside of universities. So if you wanted to travel to Brazil, for instance, um, you would need a a vaccination passport for yellow fever. Same thing in Africa, just because of how common it is there. So it's relatively common. I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem in it. Andrew? As of right now, I stand against mandating vaccinations. And just to clarify, I am fully vaccinated. But that's not because anyone made me do it. It's because I felt like it was the best thing for me and for the health of others. I don't argue against, I think everyone should be vaccinated, but my concern is what extent an entity should like curtail your personal body choices. Statistically, actually, you're more likely, people under 25 are more likely to be hospitalized for a myocarditis, which is heart inflammation caused by a vaccine. So the rate is like 50 people per million. And the COVID hospitalization rate for people under 25 is just 0.3 per 1 million people. So the vaccine is 150 times more likely to cause a side effect or hospitalization than COVID itself for our own age group. And there's also a double standard here that's very much do as I say and not as I do because the faculty and staff here at Xavier are not required to be vaccinated. Kayla. Personally, I'm for the mandation of vaccines as I think it's the best option for the state of this, like our university in the United States public health situation. As death rates climb and hospitalization rates climb, for um, elderly, but children as well with the Delta variant, I think vaccination is the only way to improve the current state of coronavirus cases. Yeah, definitely a lot of really good points made here, and I like the discrepancy and opinion that we have. One question that I would have is, just generally speaking, do you guys believe that vaccine passports are a good thing, even outside of Xavier? Just Vaccine passport, for those who do not know, is the notion that someone ought to have a vaccine in order to have access to any kind of business, basically to be able to do anything, period. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Andrew, if you want to contribute. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, vaccine passports are a bit different, and I think countries absolutely have a right to ask if you've been vaccinated, because it doesn't, like, for our country, it's a bit different. 
but uh, for a country like New Zealand that really doesn't have many COVID cases right now, the last thing they want is to cause another problem by having a foreign traveler come in and have the Delta variant explode. Uh, I think a vaccine passport makes a lot of sense specifically for travel. I mean, especially if you're traveling out or back into the United States, just keeping track of it and other major uh, decisions in your life. So if you know a company requires it, that makes sense. But I do think it would be a little overboard while I am in favor of the vaccine um, to have, be, have to show it everywhere you go, every time you go inside, specifically after the pandemic. If it's a temporary solution, then that's fine. But if that's the long-term solution that you're going to basically be carded everywhere you go, I'm not in favor of that. I think vaccine passports for travel make a lot of sense. And yeah, I think as a temporary solution for businesses, it makes sense as it's been done before. I mean, well, not done before, but it's been recommended before for other vaccines, such as like polio or meningitis, especially to travel to other countries. So I think we have to progress with this vaccine as we have in the past. Absolutely. Coming back on campus, obviously everybody who is in attendance here for the most part um, we would not like to exclude some of our older attendees here at Xavier. However, the majority of people who are in attendance at Xavier, students at Xavier, are in, a, in what Andrew referred to as a low-risk age group uh, for COVID, people who are not likely to end up in the hospital and die as a result of the disease, um, just based on statistics. How have you guys seen that notion play out amongst students here at Xavier? Obviously, we also have a, a ranging level of experience here. We have a senior, we have freshmen. So just amongst your friend group, amongst people you've seen, amongst just general conversation and dialogue, how have you seen the notion that people may not quote unquote need the vaccine because they're in a low risk uh, age group play out? I mean, I've definitely seen it play out in a lot of social circles a little bit differently, uh, just depending on what their political beliefs are. It's usually what it lines up with. I've definitely heard a decent amount of people my age be like, hey, why do I need this? I'm not at risk. And kind of being pretty sure outraged is probably a little too strong of a word, but definitely disgruntled by it. However, personally, what I view it as is it's not about me. It's about my grandfather. It's about, you know, people who are immunocompromised, like my parents, um, who are in the high-risk categories. So, like, yes, while I could survive it, if I have it and give it to one of them, the odds they survive it are much, much lower. So it's, it's just about uh, the greater good and trying to protect my community, specifically my uh, family. Well, I know for me, like, I maybe even had more reasons more selfish than that. Like, I was thinking about I didn't want to get quarantined if I was sitting next to someone who had it. And now the CDC is not recommending quarantine for fully vaccinated people. So, of course, I have my grandfather, my grandmother in mind. But in addition to that, it's much more convenient to be fully vaccinated and have that protection against quarantine and losing time with my friends and my work schedule and my classwork and all of those things. I mean, yeah, I agree with that a bit. And uh, one, it does depend on the political ideology that someone has. For my friends personally, the majority of them are fully vaccinated and they support it. But there's still one or two straight people that are very skeptical about that. And they cite that they're young as a reason as to why they shouldn't get it. Like, I personally contracted COVID last December I end up being okay and well, but I'm very well aware that other people who get it may be a different result. 
Uh, just adding on to that, I actually contracted COVID along with my family and my two grandparents um, roughly at the same time, just a little bit after Christmas. And while I was fine, um, my mom, for example, was sick for just about the entirety of January. And like I had mentioned, she is in the higher risk category. She's a little bit older and just in the immunocompromised section. And my dad ran a fever for almost two weeks straight. Uh, at one point, my grandpa was asleep for like 36 hours as well. So it's it's just a matter of it impacts people differently. And it's trying to employ, you know, the greater good for the community kind of um, thought process and trying to protect everyone else in my life. And plus, I mean, there definitely is a selfish aspect to it, as you mentioned, because I mean, I don't want to get quarantined. I don't want to have to skip class. I don't want to have to be locked down again because I was just locked down for the better part of a year, if not more than a year. So if I can avoid that while also protecting those I love and care about like around me, then it's, it's good. I'll add to that if I may. I'm, I'm glad you two were safe and didn't have any complications, but I had a, f a friend of a friend who was only 20 years old, had no health complications, no health history, and he passed away just a few months ago from COVID. Um, so even though the chances are small, they are there. So it's better to get vaccinated and be safe, even if you think you'll be fine, because he wasn't. Well, that's a really powerful statement, and our prayers and, and thoughts go out to his, his family. Um, I think the range in experience and symptoms is something that is really interesting to look at. Um, I know personally, I, my experience with COVID, I got it in March last year, and I have not been able to smell or taste anything since then. So obviously a survivable effect, but still something that is just long lasting. Um, and I think, yeah, there's definitely a, a very heavy severity that comes with even people within our age group. Um, you guys make a number of really good points. I'd like to go back to something that Kayla said though about being fully vaccinated. So. There was a recent st statistic that came out from Xavier uh, amongst this big wave of COVID cases that we've gotten since we got back to school that 80% of the current cases, uh, the current caseload um, is among fully vaccinated individuals, uh, which is obviously something very much for concern. Um, I was curious if you guys think that the vaccine mandates are going to be the end all be all. Um, is there are there other things the university needs to do, other steps that they need to take in order to slow the spread or is just mandating the vaccine enough? Uh, yeah, so I'll start out here. So basically the Delta variant is basically uh, taking away everything that the vaccine does to help you or it's taking away most of it because when a, a virus keeps evolving, it has to evolve to survive. And this is what we're seeing happening right now. So. I do think if Xavier wanted to take further steps, they would have classes be online again or close down the rec center. Although it's not ideal at all, I can see those steps being taken if things don't get better. I mean, yes, there's 80% 80 of those cases being vaccinated, but I think what Xavier should pay attention to is how many of those people have severe symptoms or if they're asymptomatic. Because yes, caseload does matter, but it's not the end all be all. I think knowing how sick people are getting, knowing how many people are getting, you know, really sick as, as um, you mentioned with the, the Delta variant, then there, then there becomes a bigger issue. But also adding to the Delta variant is that like COVID-19 disease, it mutates because it has ch a chance to live. They need to stay stalwart in their, yes, you need to be vaccinated thing. Because if we don't mandate it, if you keep kind of going, you know, laissez-faire about it, 
then it will continue to mutate. We'll continue to have to get booster shots. We'll continue to, it'll just keep kicking that, kicking the can down the road and it's not going to get anything done. If anything, it'll just prolong the issue. And a lot of people who are anti-vaccine will use the fact that cases are still on the rise as a rebuttal, but it's case number is not everything. As we've seen, hospitalizations and deaths are so far down than they ever were in the past, like six months ago, year ago. So although cases are on the rise, death percentage is so much lower than it ever has been. And that's what's most important here is the safety and lives of everyone. And just adding to that a little bit is that it's somewhere around 99.6% of people who are currently hospitalized um, are unvaccinated. Some really good statistics. Um, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate or just to ask another question here, from speaking from an anti-vax perspective, which I am not, I am fully vaccinated. But one of the big arguments that is put out there about the vaccine is that we don't know its long-term effects. Obviously, it's something that was put into production last year. Um, it was pushed through the FDA with emergency approval. Obviously, we saw that the Pfizer vaccine has, has been granted full approval. But even that is not... Um, enough to say that we know that the long-term effects of the vaccine are. So what would you guys have to say to those who are skeptical based on um, those merits? So first of all, I am not anti-vaxxer, but I do believe in personal choice. So uh, the CDC lists five criterium for a, a vaccine being effective and approved. And one of them is uh, that long-term effects have been fully studied and there's a lot of skepticism as to if that is the case for this. And uh, the FDA approval, I think, is important. And the grand majority of the time they hit the spot, like this product or uh, innovation is absolutely safe. But if you just Google things, there are definitely cases where the FDA approved things and then they end up not quite being what they thought it would be. Although that may be true, the COVID vaccine did not come from scratch. It was built off the SARS vaccine, uh, which has been in progress for about 11 years. So this was not an unresearched project. It's been added on to for years and years. It was morphed into what was necessary to stop the spread of COVID-19. And although we might not technically know the long-term effects of it, it's been in research and gone through all the correct clinical trials to get full FDA approval for Pfizer at least. And we also don't really know the long-term effects of like vaping or hot dogs. People still use those. So, yeah. Uh, my rebuttal is quite simple. We also don't know the long-term effects of COVID-19. Uh, there could be very bad effects to it. And I mean, yes, we don't know the long-term effects of the vaccine, but does that outweigh the, act the thing we're combating itself, like COVID-19 itself? I'm not sure if it does. And I mean, yes, it, was, it wasn't FDA approved, and a lot of them still aren't FDA approved fully, other than Pfizer, correct? Um, but they were pushed through an FDA emergency uh, simply to get it out as fast as possible. But it wasn't rushed, because if you look at some of the numbers, it was basically the entire world working together, because you have an entire world of virologists that are usually working on separate projects, but when you have a pandemic, they have to work together. So it's dozens of countries. It was somewhere in the ballpark of 50,000 people in three weeks. So they did their research. It wasn't, it wasn't um, stagnated. It wasn't drawn out like a usual clinical test would be. It would, had to be condensed, and it was working on quicker. And like you mentioned, it was also built off the SARS vaccine. So they had a blueprint to work with and just built and mutated that a little bit. Yeah, even to add to that, 
to that. I think a lot of the timeline and what I've read was expedited due to the fact that of the severity of what was going on. A lot of the measures that would usually be in, pla in place to slow down um, vaccine production were mostly out of lack of expediency and lack of need. Um, the demand for a vaccine pushed through um, on a number of different levels, uh, pushed ahead the timeline for it to be able to be produced and, and be granted FDA emergency approval in the first place. So I think you guys make a number of really good points. To summarize and just to wrap up, I'd love to get your guys' predictions and, and maybe just your thoughts as to where you see this vaccine mandate going as we get closer and closer to the October deadline uh, for the first shot, which I, I do not know the exact date for, but I know it's in about the middle of October to receive your first uh, dose of the vaccine and then ultimately for the registration date and then spring semester. Where do you guys see this vaccine mandate being played out? Do you see... An, uh, um, a large chunk of the student population taking religious exemption? Do you think most people will play along? How do you guys see this playing out in, in the end? Uh, I definitely see not a large amount of students taking a religious exemption, whether they're religious or not, um, but I definitely see a small minority of the student population being like, hey, I'm very much against this, um, being, you know, hey, I don't trust it for whatever reason, and definitely finding a reason, uh, like a reason such as religious to, um, be exempt from it but i can see it i hope that it's still this way that they stick to their guns they make sure that they actually still mandate it so that we can continue to march towards a regular life and not be stuck in this vicious vicious cycle of masks and the pandemic and isolation and god forbid zoom calls again <laughs> i mean yeah i do think there will be a slight decline in enrollment like there's always going to be a people with political affiliations, which I will not disclose, who will uh, not take the vaccine and they will probably not be enrolled anymore. So I think financially Xavier will be hurt a little bit by that. But I also find it kind of hypocritical that the Xavier students are expected to be vaccinated, but not their own staff, especially since some of them are like in their 60s, 70s, maybe even 80s. And if Xavier's goal is really for the well-being of everyone, then why are they only having it be the students for whom there's such a low risk in the first place? Um, personally, I think the Xavier mandate will stand. I don't see why they would take it away, especially considering it's supported by the Supreme Court now. And as for the employee um, discrepancy, you might call it, I do think that it's contractual when it's employees that would be required to do something like that. I'm not 100% sure on that. So Xavier would probably be like waiting to um, like implement that another school year, however that works. Um, and then like nationwide, I think vaccines will become the new normal. And as booster shots get rolled out, there will, as flu shots are, there will probably be a new um, mix, new strains that'll help better protect against continuous strains and spikes in COVID, so. Yeah, but definitely a good point being brought up that it was uh, hypocritical, that like, we need to get vaccinated as students, but faculty doesn't. And we were mentioning contracts. I hope it has something to do with the fact that once it's FDA approved, whether they be Pfizer, Moderna, or all of them, then they can contractually obligate them. Um, it's much easier to ob uh, make us be obligated because it's a private institution that we chose to attend. So I'm hoping th that they end up getting it mandated because it is definitely a huge discrepancy and pretty hypocritical. Yeah, and just uh, to wrap this up so we can get some accurate information out there as to when um, due dates are for getting vaccinated. The first shot is due by October 18th. 
uh, of this year. And the second shot and the ex expectation to be fully vaccinated is on January 3rd. Just to repeat that, October 18th and January 3rd are the two dates to look out for and mark on your calendar if you are not already vaccinated. I'd like to say thanks to Andrew, Kayla, and Grady for your thoughts on Xavier's vaccine mandate policy. Now, let's head on over to our fun segment for today. Welcome back. Now we are going to partake in our fun segment for today, which is going to be centered around the topic of what is the thing that we as students are most excited for this semester with campus being somewhat, in air quotes, back to normal. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, um, there has been a massive spike in cases on campus and normal, which we were expecting, has definitely changed. But we'd still like to hear uh, from the three guest contributors who were on earlier. Again, that was Kayla, Andrew, and Grady. And we are also now joined by Editor-in-Chief Alex Budzinski and fourth guest contributor, Leighton Gimmich. Grady, would you like to kick us off? Sure thing. So something I'm looking forward to, you know, being back in normal into like a normal school year, I guess. I'll put that in air quotes because it's normal ish um, is it's going to sound silly in person classes because my entire senior year of high school um, was completely online and it was outsourced to a different company. So I didn't have a single teacher. I didn't have a single Zoom. But like I had teachers looking over module based learning, basically. So it was lectures from like roughly 2005. I mean, just to give you a taste of it, they called the BlackBerry phone new in my sociology class. It was tough. Uh, so it's just actually getting that, you know, interaction from a teacher, uh, being able to socialize and live a somewhat normal college life and just trying to get used to it. Yeah, so uh, this will be my final year at Xavier. Actually, if you don't count student teaching, this is my final semester of classes at Xavier. So... I'm just going to enjoy being a part of Xavier community and uh, kind of enjoying the journey that really went by way too fast. And one thing that I really like on campus is free food during events. Like what college student does not like that? So I've got to enjoy the time while I can before I'm a real adult. Um, something I'm really excited for is just to make new friends. Um, I'm a freshman as well. I love the community here at Xavier, especially in all the different dorms and halls. And just being able to make friends between different floors and different hallways is definitely something that I'm excited for. I cannot wait to develop more over the year. So I will second what Andrew said. This is my last year at Xavier, um, and it's definitely a bittersweet feeling thinking about um, this being my final final fall semester on campus and approaching my last semester on campus. Um, but I am definitely grateful that things are returning to somewhat normal. Um, I think that one of the best feelings that I've had in a long time was on the first day of classes walking down um, the hill towards the heart of campus and seeing so many Xavier students walking around. Um, I came to Xavier because of the community and that visual image was a reminder of the community and something that I really missed over the past year with Zoom classes. I also am really involved in the music department here. Um, and last year, COVID really um, interrupted how we operated, how we were able to perform music. So I'm really looking forward to returning to some sort of normalcy with concerts and uh, rehearsals and uh, being a part of that community once again. I'm really excited just to like, go to events, to go to soccer games basketball games. Um, I'm excited for the upcoming musicals. I want to see all those kinds of things. And yeah, just being involved here. I'm personally elated to be living in my new house. 
being in a house off campus has been like the most freeing feeling I've had since being here. Get, can actually make it my own. Um, and then just being able to have my fully vaccinated friends over to hang out is a welcome sight after last year where we were all just struggled so much to be able to socialize in any kind of a normal way. So being able to have people over to the house, um, even if it's just to sit around and talk, has been very refreshing. Thank you, everybody, for your contributions to our fun segment. And now we'll head to the outro. That's all for today's show. You can listen to Debate and Discussion and all other Newswire multimedia productions on both YouTube and Spotify. Just search Xavier Newswire to find our shows. Thank you to XUFM for allowing us to use their equipment for the recording of this podcast. We'd love to give a special shout out to our entire crew who helped produce the show. Editor-in-Chief Alex Budzinski, Managing Editor Mo Junker, Managing Multimedia Editor Hunter Ellis, Show Manager Will Pembroke, Audio Editor Sebastian Aguilar, Guest Contributors Andrew Zerman, Kayla Ross, Grady Boris. Special shout outs go to Chloe Salveson and Leighton Gimmage for their contributions to our first show as well. I'm your host, Will Pembroke, signing off.